Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Finally, a Welsh win. But that's just half the story. This is. Is rock and roll. Right, welcome to the second uh, rock and roll podcast. Uh, first of all, Steph, how was your weekend? Um, yeah, not too bad. A weekend of rugby, and uh, we'll go through whether that was a good weekend or a bad weekend through the course of the next hour or so. And obviously, uh, we're joined by your, uh, this week's guest, young Phil. Do you want to introduce yourself, Phil? Evening, gents. How are we doing there? All right? Yeah, not too bad. So for people who don't know him, uh, big rugby fan, part-time model, <laughs> winner of the 2020 Sexiest Cat Owner, just beating Taylor Swift, Penelope Cruz, and our guy from James Bond. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's the man with the golden guns, oh, Phil oh, that is so much better than I thought you were going to give me an introduction for. <laughs> so uh, my weekend as well is also spent uh, jotting down a few podcast rules. So I'm going to bring in uh, penalties for you and me. And then yep. if a guest want to join in, we can. So um, every week I'll just give us a couple more. So the first, the first week, and I'm already thinking I'm going to make a few quid off you. So no Lions talk for up to six months before the tour. Anyone saying we don't know which France will turn up is an instant fine. <laughs> and then uh, you mentioning to anyone that you went to school with who later went on to have a rugby career, that, that's you're going to fall foul. Yeah, okay. yeah. So just a, just a quick little, the first three rules, we'll build it up as the podcast goes on. Obviously, we, we, we just talk about, first of all, the weekend games that we've had. Um, so let's start, I'm going to start with a game that I probably flattered to deceive, because I'm guessing everyone got up for a game expecting it to be the same as the week before, and it was the damp squid, the uh, Argentina-Australia game. Phil, what did you make of that? Yeah, it was it was a weird one. Um, I, I got up to, to watch it after getting absolutely tucked up by by Argentina last the weekend before, uh, by deciding to surprise everyone with that result. Again, like, I, I don't know what... I don't really know what to make of Argentina at this stage, because they obviously... They're one of those teams that seem to be... You know, they're just angry. They're just really angry at 
and the passion they bring to it is just something else. But it really felt like Australia did themselves out of that game. I really don't feel like Argentina deserved to come away for that with a draw. Um, it felt like for big old chunks of the game, to, to my mind anyway, there was it was all Australia and Australia just couldn't seem to finish their dinner. They seemed to have, well, for lack of a better phrase, dicks or fingers. Um, they seemed to be doing they seemed to be doing most of the good stuff. And then when it needed to go, when ball needed to go to hand, it was letting them down. And that just allowed Argentina to stay in it. And I think, I don't know, maybe maybe a little bit of last weekend's result played into their mind a little bit, that they were a little bit not scared, but a little bit apprehensive as to what what sort of light blue and white force could come at them from the weekend before. Um, I don't know, but it just, it was a bit underwhelming, but I think a, a, still a good result for Argentina, considering how, how they played the game. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily think they deserve to come away with a draw, but they did, and that's, that's a really good result. That's a really good two weekends of results from there. Yeah, so I've got down to a good result for Argentina following on night. It's, it's hard to follow a beat in the All Blacks. With a, a decent, uh, we've seen Australia obviously have put pushed the All Blacks course the last couple of weeks, beaten the All Blacks in the last couple of weeks. They 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 just completely lack discipline. Or like every time they got themselves into a good position, which was a lot that you look at possession and territory stats, and they found themselves there. As Phil said, looking to score tries, they're in a position to score tries. I think. Michael Checker is now part of the coaching staff, isn't he, with Argentina? Mm-hmm. Is it is it the ghost of Michael Checker? Yeah. Is it every time Michael Checker's presence is around the Australia squad, they fall to bits? Yeah. It's it's like poltergeist being built on like a an Indian graveyard. It's every time Michael Checker's around, suddenly Australia can't play and can't score tries. I just love the uh, the I don't know if you saw it, the Michael Hooper press conference before the game. So he was asked the question on how he how he felt Michael Checker was going to fit into the Argentina um, setup, and he went, well, he's a great coach. He said he's an intelligent guy, he speaks loads of languages, but his Spanish is terrible, so I don't know what he's going to be able to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's doing something. I mean, the results are falling away for him. I think if you'd, you'd offered the Pumas a win and a draw in their first two weeks against, you know, the, the Anzac teams, you, you'd take that, you'd, you'd, you'd dive at that. Typical Aussie media, then, with their headline about uh, Reese Hodge. So once again, missing a kick that could have won a game for us. You think, well, if, if Welsh, Welsh rugby uh, media is uh, not the greatest at times, but Aussie media is jumping on someone for missing a kick, which <laughs> probably, yes, they would have deserved the win, but it was a bit of a 49-51 for me. Neither team sort of would by a mile the better team. So I probably, I wouldn't say the draw is the fair result, but you can't say one team was better than the other. But I jumped on you last week for picking up players and I'll do it every time you do it. Like, you win as a team, you lose as a team. That that's a that's rugby. You know, you, you it's very rare you get individual talent that's going to settle a game or lose a game. Mm. It's the Aussie media seem to love to live off that. They love yeah. a little bit of anything to create controversy and sell a newspaper, create clicks. I mean, like you said, like the, the press over here are awful. I I'm not going to mention any media outlets, but there's some clickbaity <laughs> media that that. Is quite popular in Wales and seems to get around everywhere. And usually, so many times you can wheel out a "Will the roof be open?" argument, or uh, <laughs> we we see in today again Joe Marler and Alan Wynne Jones. Like, oh, it's the first time they played together since the incident. And I, neither one of them are going to give a shit. No. Neither one of them cares. Well, that's not going to affect the game in the slightest bit. But it's clickbait because they know other people will because they know people will get excited about it. The Australian media love it. They absolutely love it. I mean, so if, you're this, gonna blame, if you're going to blame one player for it, blame Corabetti for not putting down that try in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Corabetti, again, he was gone from 
looking like an absolute world beater to then howler, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's it's rugby. Really that's nice. yeah. yeah, that's the way it goes. I think that's a good point you make there, Ryan, about, um, I mean, saying that you don't necessarily agree that the draw was a fair result because it's felt like one of those ones where Australia could have won it, but they didn't really deserve to win it with the way they played. Like, I, I just, yeah, I don't think that, um, it certainly wouldn't it certainly wouldn't have been unfair for them to have nicked it with, by three points, but I think over the course of the 80, they hadn't showed those little moments like that Corabati moment and those other things where it just went... It was. It just felt like it wasn't going to be their day. Um, so it goes to Michael Trekker. <laughs> it is looming over the stadium. Looming <laughs> over the stadium. I'm telling you. I tell you what, though, it's a shame that goes to Michael Trekker doesn't loom over uh, Leinster, isn't it? <laughs> so I, I think we're back at the stage at the moment as well, where Super Rugby and uh, the Tri Nations, as it is again, we've gone back like 25 years <laughs> to that's the exciting one again. I'm not saying it was never excited and it wasn't this, but it looks a vastly superior product at the moment. Even with a, a 15 all draw and dicks for fingers, <laughs> there's far more excitement. It makes you want to get up at eight o'clock in the morning or six o'clock in the morning to watch a game again or drink through. I'm a big yeah. fan of drinking through. Do you know why? Do you know why that is though? Because you know when they watch those games, yeah, the, the pundits talk about that game. In the Northern Hemisphere, Revol- that doesn't revolutionary. happen, does it? Yeah. Revolutionary. Who'd have thought yeah. it? I know. Well, it's not just that it, like, pundits are more exciting. Like, generally, and I, I'm going to come on to a bit of punditry later on, so I don't want to jump too much into things. But, you, like, the so, pundits are more exciting. I, I, I just in Marshall Umfar will get on the edge of seat off a big tackle as opposed to some of the commentators that we get. And I don't want to pick people out, and I probably will later on if I'm honest. <laughs> but you know, there's a there's a definite excitement, and then you've got the games and the lights and the stadium looks like, and it just it looks better and it sounds better. And I think that goes the long way. Yeah, I was going to say, like I know, <clears throat> I, I I do agree that it looks like the it looks like a better product, but I'm just wondering, like on that, whether you thought, like you've got the you've got the fact that they got crowds back in that's a huge difference for them having the crowds back in there obviously for the atmosphere and making it more exciting i think but are you comparing that to the all nations cups games you've seen recently or you think like general northern hemisphere rugby over the last like 18 months two years because i think in the short term i definitely agree with you um because i think this is very much like a, a feeler out tournament for yeah. the coaches so what's your thoughts on that well so if we jump into this fucking covid cup for one of a bit like it it doesn't feel like anything anyway does it like no. doing a rounder before because i know you want to go into every game that we'll talk about as an overall product is shit and i know yeah. it's been it's been bought out by amazon but it's like it's come from fucking wish like this isn't a top quality <laughs> product this is knocked together by an eight-year-old in a giant a chinese factory this is this is shit this is an absolutely it doesn't feel like there's anything on the line, and realistically, there isn't. Like, Until England win it, and then obviously you'll never hear the end of it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and, but I said it when England won the Six Nations like three minutes ago, or whatever that was, <laughs> since the last tournament ended. Right? That it, it's a it's a pub quiz question in five years, and it's and that's what this is going to be like. You can see yourself sat in a pub trying to work out who won the autumn. They couldn't even be asked to think of a name. Mm. It's called the Autumn Nations Cup, like this. (laughs) 
someone had sat down in marketing and they just oh look just just call it the autumn nations cup we can finish it you have a couple of pints like it's <laughs> there's absolutely zero effort gone into it england look like the only ones who've bothered the train for it like Uckers look like they've never seen a rugby ball in their life. I think Tom came up with a perfect line last week and I, I about just chuck your dar up on the roof because that's what the Pumas oh, done and it worked yeah. perfectly for him. But like it just looks like ramshackle. It looks a poor, poor. And then when you throw in, as you said, like we're cutting into game time by people still talking about the England game from before this one kicked off and then there's no build up to the next game even though there's, there's an infinite number of channels this is amazon who are a streaming service so they could stream they could show you the end of the england game restart england highlights show you analysis of the england game and still have this running alongside well, what they but it's said they're one. cutting in it's what they yeah. do with formula one on sky they have it on like a, they have a dedicated channel for it it's just running different it's yeah. all the time different streams at the same time so there's it, it makes no sense yeah you're already paying your pundits they're already there your equipment's already there there's no other rights probably i don't know if anyone else wanted it but there's no other rights issues to worry about you're not taking it off any other channel just to jump in as well i, I haven't the irony isn't lost on me that we were talking about argentina and Australia, and we just now talk about England, so we're probably just as bad as people on Amazon. Yep, sorry guys. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I, I'm talking about the cup as a whole. I'm talking about the cup as a whole. It, <laughs> it no, just, it's, right. It's, it's right, though. Like, like, it just feels like four weeks of meaningless friendlies, doesn't it? Like, at least the normal autumn autumn matches, when there's, you know, crowds will be a big factor in this, but you, you go to the stadium, you see Argentina, you see Australia one week, New Zealand the week after, you may have a Japan on a Friday night or something, and then South Africa the week after or whoever. But that feels like actual internationals. And I know it's different because of COVID now, and there's no fans there and the rules we've got to go by. But it just doesn't feel like an autumn game. It just feels as though it's like a one of those, like, you know, like a, an England Barbarians game before England go and fly off to New Zealand for a week. It just feels like one of those every week, and it's just pointless. It's, well, thanks for that. Someone who bought tickets for the uh, Lions Japan game. Thanks for that. Um, but <laughs> we've got a real problem in the northern hemisphere as well of moving into those, especially with like no builder. Mm. Like the thing with Argentina that was so amazing beating the All Blacks was they had nothing before it. And maybe it's because they used to have it nothing before it, because other than the, the you know, couple of seasons that Jaguares were allowed to play super rugby. Essentially, they've got and they've now got a completely non-competitive league, essentially, because they've got Aguares there with all the big stars, all the big name players. So no competition other than one or two players who uh, you imagine will eventually become Aguares and Pumas. So maybe it's the most, but we look like nations who haven't really played rugby for a few months. Mm. I know the, the argument is England, but then with England, they had the, the premiership running. And I know it was a bit, that was a bit badly organized and a bit tacked together. And, you know, you can, play players for this number of minutes for this many times over a two-week well, whatever the, like the rules were. But they at least look like their players have played rugby. Mm. Whereas... And they're also the least unsettled team, really, out of all of yeah. them. Yeah. Well, so yeah, they, exactly. They had a benefit of coming in realistically with not really much changed um, since their World Cup final, really. Yeah. It's like, he's brought in a couple of, like, He's messing around with it. It just seems like it smacks of boredom on, on their part. They're just literally experimenting around with what to do because yeah. everything else is so settled. They don't really have to do anything. And that's what makes these games look a little bit meaningless because it's just they're trying, they're trying like, oh, one week we're going to try this, then next week we're going to try that. And they just yeah. like, they just keep winning effortlessly 
um, but it doesn't really make for an entertaining spectacle in the slightest. Well, I think it was Flatman who said on Saturday about the lineup with England and uh, they, they line up run smoothly. And he, they, and he said, yeah, but they will have thrown that throw like a thousand times mm-hmm. because they've been together, they trained together so many years. And it was a perfect, and he's right. And I, I, I said on the podcast last week where you slagged off Ryan Elias. Quite Elias right. is new in, so we've got a new thrower. Corey Hill's not there at the moment, so we've lost our line-out caller. We've brought in a new line-out caller. Our lifter was then Carrie, who is new into the team essentially as well. All right, he's been around the setup, but he's essentially new into there as well, into a starting test team. So your three three major components of that line-out has changed. So the, the two are the most important ones, your line-out caller and your hooker throwing in. Then you've got to get your timing right as well. So it is a big change, and I think like... Again, we'll come on to that, but that's where England look good, as Phil said, is they, they've got that continuity and it does, it works wonders. There's this thing that like practice makes perfect isn't necessarily true, but it does make permanent. And once you, you get into that flow and you do it enough times and you, you get there and you're getting it right, it's hard to start getting wrong. Mm. I think that's why the other teams maybe lack a little bit. <clears throat> Obviously, that game as a whole wasn't the greatest of spectacles. I think with England themselves, they just sort of put a a defensive white wall up there and Ireland didn't really offer much apart from when Stockdale scored there was no real creativity there was just sort of one out runners and trying to get the ball back and England just stood there they didn't have to do much did they? No and that, that's where the defence worked is because Ireland done it. it's, you know those videos you sometimes get on like Facebook and it'll be like a dog trying to go through a gate with a stick Yeah, and like the stick is too big for the gate and you go, yeah. it'd be like a five minute video of the dog just walking through a gate I'm not getting anywhere because of the stick. Mm. And then at the end, the dog does something and gets through the gate. Anyway, but Ireland just never did it. They just kept running at the fucking gate with the stick. Like there was no dropping in and trying to drag it through. It was it was horrific. It was they don't look like that team. Like you go back 18 months ago, two years ago. And we were looking at a very good Ireland team. You you think of, say, two years ago, then we'd be going into the year of the World Cup and we were talking about Ireland as possibly being contenders. We should have known they'd lose in the quarters. As but, per usual, yeah. Yeah. But we were talking about them being genuine contenders. And, you know, they, they'd broken their duck and beaten the All Blacks. They, they were going on a good run. Joe Schmidt was being talked about as the next Lions coach and this sort of thing. And then... With you and and it is it's easy to blame Farrell. I don't think it's Farrell's fault, but then you've got to look at what is what is going wrong. What is the change? Because they started a dip and they got into that World Cup. They look poor, like at mm. the World Cup. Something something's gone badly wrong, and there's just no creativity there. No. I think it's, I think for me, it's a little bit difficult to judge Farrell too much at this point because I think he needs an opportunity to pick from a, from from his best players like that back that lot of. He's got missing a lot of players in that back line for Ireland. Um, and he was forced to pick a set of players that had like an average speed of a snail, really. And that really didn't help things in terms of trying to go around the corners or trying to go up and under and through them in different ways. So it's difficult to really judge him on these games because of the injuries that he's had to deal with. So I don't necessarily think it's his fault yet. It'd be interesting to see what he does when he's got a full complement of players to pick from. And when he, whether he starts making these odd selection choices like a, a certain Welsh coach is making. 
we'll we'll get onto that a bit later i'm sure but like yeah I, it's it's difficult to say but like like you say they were it's a good analogy they were just hammering on the door and having nothing about them um and it was weird it was sort of like watching to me it was like watching two versions of gatlin's wales england were defending like wales under gatlin as the be in the best ways and ireland were attacking like wales under gatlin in the worst ways yeah it's like a mixture of the two sort of like best and worst aspects of our game from yeah it was it was the uh the attack was australia uh 2015 game yeah where we just get battery it'll come it'll, no, it's not going yeah. we need to create something we need to do something so but, what do they do so after this lot this lot drop goal <laughs> yeah, they, they, they might have phil they might have all right all right I can't yeah i'm not giving up the ghost we'll, we'll debate <laughs> it later i'm not giving up the ghost but yeah they farrell's essentially as well going for centers who are him twice hmm. Like Farrell was a fantastic player, and especially in league, like he was something else. But he's essentially gone for two big guys who can carry hard and tackle a lot. It's left them lacking creativity. England then showed the difference because, like you said, that the average speed of uh, the the Irish defence was like uh, a milk float, and then Johnny May turned up in his Ferrari and showed showed what a bit of pace can do. I mean, it's it's a brilliant try. At the same time, not being a brilliant try, like it's not a technically great try. Right? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have to do much. He just has to run into space, take one step, kick the ball forward, and catch it. Yeah, this is where I was a bit like watching it, being like, "Has everyone else seen the same try I have?" Because I'm not saying what he didn't, what he did was wasn't a, an exceptional piece of athleticism, but it also looked a little bit like a dog chasing a like a like a rabbit or something, and just like unsure like what was going to happen next. Like he. Obviously, the skill and the the plaudits go to him for being able to react in that way and to keep up with the with the with the with the flow of the, of the game and the ball and the and reacting to it in that time. But at the same time, it was frenetic and it could have gone so wrong at any point in that in that um, in that break. Like that first kick he put through, like he could have easily just fluffed it away. I, I know that's the point is that he didn't, but it's like yeah. as soon as the ball leaves your hand, it's a risk. Like it could bounce anywhere. Um, you can do things to affect it, obviously, but he, like, yeah, I was so conflicted with that try because it is brilliant and it also isn't, and I couldn't yeah. really rationalise it. I, I think it's exciting, it's the exciting side of rugby, you know, that's when something like that happens and he said it is a 50-50 and you go, this is either going to be edgy, people are going to be achieving this, or this is going to be like, what the hell has he done there? And it's, he is sort of an Irish player, and you, you said he's like a dog chasing the ball, and you very much get that's his mentality. Oh, yeah. Like oh, he, yeah. he, he he does seem like the the Labrador from up. Like he's he's got that kind of look about him. <laughs> so but hey, it works and he's scoring tries and you can't ask no more for him. But if you've got a winger that's fastest, often like ninety percent of the battle, if you can pick a, a good angle and a good line as well, or, or just take those risks and he's playing himself into uh into what? Into Oh, oh, easy, oh, easy. Oh. He's playing himself in connection for, for like one of the best ringers around at the moment. Like I can't. For when you're looking for form, I know we talked about Corabetti, but I wouldn't like to come up against Johnny May. I mean, I'd like to think I wouldn't like to come up against any international winger or club level winger or just anyone who couldn't run. But well, going going on to Johnny May, I listened to a a podcast. What the unmentionable, so I won't mention it. Apparently, he's the only one that's nailed on at the moment. Oh, I, I wonder where you were getting at. There, I'm still yeah. going to take a pound for that. No, um, <laughs> apparently, he's the only one. If you looked at right across the four countries, he would be the only one that would be nailed on for a position at the moment. That, no, that's what no, their opinion is. No, I don't agree mind, with that. But... No, never mind, like, territory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
anyway. Oh, um, there was a bit of a fuss over Atoji getting man of the match. Um, a few people on Twitter. And was that? Yeah, what? especially one who went through their stats. I think he's got the purely on a tackling performance. We think he made twenty tackles, and okay. ugh, I mean that's pretty solid in a game like that where they their whole thing was, as you said, like set up his defence and will defend yeah. and let Ireland make the mistakes. It's an heroic performance. You mm. don't always need turnovers. You don't always need something special. 20 tackles. Mm. That, that's a that's a body on the line performance. So Apparently I the, know up, it, the uproar was all because David Flatman always gives his man a match to a forward, apparently. And quite rightly so. Every Everyone knows that forwards are the talented members of the team, the artist workers, you know, Forwards win games. That's so, what, so what position you said. Couldn't possibly say. <laughs> Go back. Right. <laughs> right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna do something that Amazon didn't do at the weekend. Have we finished talking about England so we can talk about Wales? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I finished talking about England. Do yeah. we have to talk about Wales, Georgia? We probably have to touch on it. <laughs> right. Okay. There's not much positives. There's, we won. That's probably the only positive. It's, it's not the only positive, as you know. I, as you know, I'm I'm the positive one anyway, which is a surprise. I know. Yeah, I, I think there's more green shoots here. Like things didn't quite stick. It, it still had those tier two opponent performance about it. Like we, we've never. I can't remember. Atonga, I think, was the, a, a great autumn international tier two performance. We put ten tries on them, and then other than that, I'm really struggling to pull out. Uh, oh, that was a really good performance against a tier two nation. Yeah, the only, 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 only other one I can remember is I, I went to watch one in Millennium Stadium years ago and Gav kicked everything and I think it was something like 98 nil against Japan. Japan. But that's, Japan. That, but that's that I'm talking probably at least 2004. Years, probably I think that year. was just before the Six Nations where he, he dominated. Yeah, outside, outside of a World Cup, we haven't we haven't dominated a tier, a tier two in, no. in the friendlies at all. Like apart from the example that you said, it's never they've always been. But I think they for me what was um, heartening about it was that we'd often see Gatland put the odd sprinkling of a, of a player or two into those against those tier two nations and we still wouldn't perform and it's like you can't obviously his overall product I know um, Steph you make a good point of this um, last week as well about um, it was it wasn't all sunshine uh, sunshine and roses under Gatland there, there were some dire years then there were some dire performances um, and what it was with the what I remember from the previous uh, regime with the tier two games is that you bring a couple of players in to try and blood them in, but even even though you're changing two or three players in a setup, it would all go to crap again. Yeah. You still have a crap performance. You think, well, maybe that's just our, maybe that's just the monkey on our back. Maybe that's just we just don't ever really sort of play well against the tier two nations when there's nothing for it. Um, it was nice to see a lot of more new players coming in. To be fair, that was one thing that was really good. Um, and. I think it's a lot like it was generally felt like an audition for the first team. Like no one's performing well enough to go, but they are guaranteed. So even your mm. big names, like bigger, you would have said coming to this is like, oh, he's nailed on for 10 while well, we've gone once. But I don't think he, as his performance has been that good, even you're looking at nine, you would have said, you know, you've got your one or two. But even in that case, I went been looking beyond what we would have thought would have been our first and second choice nine. I don't think there's any way other than. I was gonna say other than Alan Wynn, but I don't even know if if that's sayable, if that's doable now. Like he's looking at Alan Wynn being in the twilight of his career, what you've got to look at is going into next week. I don't know if it's in Pivak's interest to have a good performance, which sounds like a mad thing to say, and I'll talk about that later on. But I think maybe he's got a little bit more freedom 
in a bad performance because and I'll, I'll i'll nail my hat on this and if i'm wrong i can't see pivot going anywhere before next summer we england could put 90 points on us on saturday and i can't see pivot going anywhere because we don't have the money so first of all we don't have the money to pay him off before that contract break we don't have the money to bring in a top level coach to replace him i imagine he's not on the fantastic waves that gatman was was on as we know so if you're going to break the bank, and I say people keep talking about, oh, well, Scott Robinson can come in and say, why? Why, why would he come who into else, a job? That, that's what yeah, I was going to say, to add on to your point, is who else is there? Who else yeah. is there at this stage? So then we're looking at Die Young, maybe? But then as, We'd as, love to see it. We'd love to uh, see no, it. No, I, I love Die Young, but realistically as well, yeah, has, he, has he done much? I think I think Dai Young would be, Dai Young would be a perfect coach to come into that setup next summer if it doesn't work under Pivac, because with only two years to the next World Cup, he would know the players. He wouldn't have to get to know them. He would, he'd know how we played. He'd know what's worked before. He's in the English game, obviously been in the English game, so he'll know some of the players as well. But he'll know the setup, as opposed to say next summer bringing in someone like Scott Robinson, who's got to learn it, learn it all of it, having that more hands-on approach. I suppose that Dai would be able to do if he was to come in next summer, if Pivac was to go. So like doing it now for a big name coach like that probably wouldn't work because it's not going to you're not going to give them like the full the full cycle to get and, and like we say about world cups so yes world cups are brilliant but i'd much rather be dominant consistently than be terrible for three and a half years and then get to the seventh final of world cup like you want then, you want the progress and you? you don't want it don't want it all just to be for the world cup and i know but that's then, but, geared but uh, but then we haven't always been there this has been my argument from the start. We have, yeah, we've won Grand Slams along the way, which is amazing. And I'm old enough to remember when we didn't. Like, I'm old, old enough to remember the 90s where we were close to the wooden spoons and we were Grand Slams almost every time. So we haven't always been dominant, not by any means. I mean, we've got fourths, we've got fifths, we've got a load of thirds. We haven't been dominant between World Cups. We've just got scatterings of Grand Slams. Mm. I've taken my, my point away for is that there were green shoots. And this is where it ties into the thing with Pivak because the green shoots with some of the players who came in, like there's players who should have been started. I know Phil made the joke about like strange selections, but this pack for me looked more like the pack that should be started as well. Like Jake Ball, I think should be in there. Yeah, I think Elliot what? D is out starting okay, without the doubt. I, I don't see yeah. well. Ken, the well, there's no Ken Owens. Elliot D seems nailed on for me. When Jones at, at Lucid, like I don't see carry as an international yet like he looks a good club player in the scrum he looks like he's going to become an international quality or perhaps even a world-class loose head but he's still young we've got to give him time and then Sheedy comes in we've we've seen what he's done for the Bears but he showed that he can do it and again I know it's only Georgia but it's making that step up with the pressure on you with it and look and he looked the part and then Johnny Williams look good in as much as he looked like Hadley Parks in what Hadley Parks did. All right, he's not at that level of Hadley Parks yet, but that he's not a big, massive ball carrier to bust through a defender, but he'll draw in defenders. He'll look to offload. He'll bring other people into a game. He picks an intelligent angle. Like You can say what you like about whether you like Pivak and whether you think he's a good coach and whether you think his system's going to work at international level and whether his, his fellow coaches are the right picks. But he is a good coach. He wouldn't be there without that. He's done it in, in, at every level. For him to pick a guy and say, I want him at my club. I want him at my at my nation. I want you to do what you can to bring him home. 
speaks volumes for any coach at that level. So I think it you've got to give a little bit of credit to th- this kid could become something at the time when we really need it. Because I keep saying we've got the centres, the centres are there. I think it's I getting think fit centres and they can play a system. I think he'll start Saturday. Whether Fox is with him, I don't know. But I think he'll start at 12 Saturday. But it's good to have that in there at the time when... We haven't looked great out, and you know, I'll hold my hands. I do think it, you know, it's a burgeoning system, it's a young system, as things will change. Mm. And I know that I, I think I'm being realistic because that's what optimistic people think, but people might think that I'm being optimistic. And then we've got to look at if you're looking at Saturday and a, a diet performance like that weather, yeah, like great, when you're playing, and it's a bright point and a cloud over the Welsh team because it's difficult to play that open, expansive game that Pivak wants to play. It's hard to do that in those conditions to throw the ball around, to look to bring runners in, to look to... And the, the offload that we, we showed, like I said, that, that Ray late for me was that 15, 20 minutes after the second half against Ireland where we looked to ship the ball, we looked at that little offload, we looked at the man in support and rather than we didn't clear out, we give that pop and created mismatches, created a weak shoulder... And it's harder to do that in our weather. The the cloud over that is that we live in fucking Wales, and so that weather's here quite often. Can we play in? Yeah, we play in February and we play in October generally. So we don't tend to have the 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 nice like if we could play South Africa away every week, we might be all right. But and I believe the weather is similar this Saturday when we would like it to be hot and dry and running rugby is probably not going to be, which is not ideal when you're playing the juggernaut of the Singham. Yeah, and, you know, it's coming in, it's in slightly again, isn't it? So like, it's the one of the few times you're like, oh, can't we just play some of the Twickenham? Like, <laughs> because obviously it is a regional level ground, so yeah. it's not the massive built-up thousand-mile-high stadium. It's right on, you know, the wind and rain blowing in off a sea over there. So it's not ideal at all. It's not a nice place to put. It's not quite Galway, but it's just the other side of the bloody sea from it. So it's not much better either. <laughs> so like that is a bit of a pain in the arse. And perhaps it'd be the one time that Wales Online's article about will the roof be open or shut would have come in handy because if the roof was shut, they'd be playing it all favour. But <laughs> it's hard. Like I say, the trouble is that is that ever going to change? Like it is ship weather at the minute, but is it going to be ship weather next October? We can't obviously move on from the Wales game without mentioning the uh, incident in the second half where after a clear swinging arm from the Georgian player, Tips gets knocked out and uh, it only gets to be a yellow. Phil, what was your take on that? That shouldn't have been a yellow, should it? <laughs> <laughs> Controversially. No, I mean, like, we're talking, we're seeing these every week now, in so in most games now. Um, you just, you're making contact with him. We saw that, we saw that one with the, um, in, in the Scarlet's game on the weekend as well. Um uh, just just passed where it got downgraded from what should have been a red to a yellow, um, which was again maddening, but should have been a should have been off for me. That's all. That's all yeah, I I, sorry, we keep talking about the framework. Like they keep saying about ah, oh, but he was dropping because of the tackle and it's a framework. And yeah, the framework is there. But my understanding of the framework is if it's an illegal action, then that framework doesn't need to apply anyway. So coming in with a swinging arm totally negates whether he's dropping yeah. or not. Like that that wasn't a wrap. That was an arm coming low to eye. That was a swinging arm. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing that rugby league stamped down. A rugby league generally is much looser with the with high shots, with the shoulder charge. They're generally much more relaxed on how they implement that. That was stopped in rugby league years ago. You came in with a swinging arm and you were offered it. If you look back at rugby leagues, people talk about like the glory days of rugby league where games were like 
46, 54. That was because it was like 11 players left on the pitch because so many <laughs> swinging arms and shoulder charges and there was nobody left. It wasn't the golden age. There was just loads of space. <laughs> and so the fact that it was missed, like he's knocked out before he hits the floor. And I, I, I wrote it down for later on, but I'll tag it to you because you said about the Scarlets game. That the, Scar the one in the Scarlets game where Treadwell comes in and uh, it's Sebastian. And the ref said, oh, there's no excess force. Like, he's knocked out. Like, the guy is out cold on the floor. Yeah, accidentally. You can't yeah. accidentally knock someone out when you're looking to well, I, a tackle. Not without lack of force. Like, <laughs> I've never... Oh, there was no force in that. And he, he sparked out. Otherwise, boxers would be going down from jabs. That like, you need a force to knock you out. Or, at very least, like, it's got to be that that impact. Because I thought that Tipperick was knocked out as he hit the floor. Yeah, I thought you I've got to say to... Was it Joy Neville was the TMO in the Wales game? Yeah. Was that the game that she TMO this yeah, week? Like, hats off to Joy Neville for picking it out and calling up on it because I didn't spot it. And no. even on the first two replays they showed, I didn't spot it. And then Joy Neville steps in and they show, and you go, oh yeah, that, that's clearly a swinging arm to his head. The most frustrating thing with it all is the inconsistency. It's a red card, no doubt about it, and it would be frustrating if it wasn't it. But if every time that happened, it was a yellow... At least we can say, well, we know that's a yellow card. Yeah. But what we're seeing is, you see the Josh Turnbull one a few weeks ago that was a red. And it was a red. I'm not saying, but that is in no way as bad as Treadwell's this week. That's no way as bad as the tackle on Dipperick this week. So we need that and consistency. Probably, probably no, no one near as bad as the one in the Scotland game that wasn't even picked up. Well, <laughs> it, it, it's absolutely crazy. And like... It doesn't like the Pro 14 when they're not helping themselves again because it was an Irish TMO which kicks off all the Pro 14. Uh, like there's no there's no conspiracy theory. I do yeah I don't I like let's not I Illuminati or something like yeah. it, it's it's not happening. It's not there. It's not real. It's we just bad we refereeing. We won't go into that one too much because I'm sure he might reappear at some point later on. Yeah, but <laughs> to to me it all tight like it's absolutely ridiculous. Like we. HIEs is a massive thing at the minute. Like we're yeah. looking at players whose careers can be cut short. We're looking at, at um, deaths with the, the second impact syndrome. So I can think of the name, man. The second impact syndrome, which is literally fatal. We've got young kids dying and yet we can't get this right. Yeah. And world rugby, we're shitting themselves over the fact of they thought they were going to get sued and that's why they brought this in. And I, I don't buy this all this a player welfare thing. I don't think for one second they give a shit about player welfare. I don't think they care about their performing monkeys on a pitch. But they did worry about how much it was going to cost them when it went wrong. Mm. But they seem to have dropped the ball and someone needs to have the conversation about this because like some of us do actually care about players because I watch these people week in, week out. You don't want to see people get hurt. You don't want to see your worst enemy get hurt. You know, you're like enemies of the team because it's an opposition opposition team. But you know, I don't want to see players get hurt whether I'm playing against their team or playing for them. Something needs to be done. It's got to be more consistent. It's absolutely shocking. Yeah, agreed. Can I have my optimistic on the Wales game as well? You my can, final yeah. thing. That, something that was absolutely superb in the Wales game, and it's something that we've been saying for years, but now in a completely different context with Sam Warburton. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah, he was. Well, one of rugby's biggest uh, issues is that we're not inclusive. Like, it's very much an insular thing, and insular in different ways. Don't get me wrong. Like, in where I'm generally towards white men, 
but in different ways. In it, if you're a working class white man in, in Wales, they say, and then if you're a, a privileged middle class kid in England, and then throughout the throughout the Western world, especially, Sam's done a way of making things inclusive. Like he did a way of explaining decisions, explaining what was going on without being uh, condescending in any way. Like it wasn't like, a, yeah, we know. Like, don't be a dick about it. Like. It was really intelligent, informed. As a rugby fan who listens a lot, you can sit there and still watch it, still take something in, and even still learn something in some cases, like the way that he's picking things out and the way that they would have been training, the way that he would have been doing or, or analysing. I thought it was superb. And again, not to hark on the rugby league, but it's something the rugby league's always done really well, I thought, with commentary. And union fans slag off Jiffy quite a lot but you listen to Jiffy do rugby league commentary and it's a different animal it's a completely different beast where he explains things and then you watch Eddie and Steve on Sky and you sat there and you go like oh yeah even I, like I didn't realise I've been watching rugby league for you but I didn't realise that was a, a law I didn't realise that was a rule and I think Sam did that really well so I just wanted to bring that in No you're right he did and I think for him it's a case of because he's been he's just come out of it it's nice that he can show the Casual fan, I suppose, what each decision means, what, why, why a penalty was given in that scenario, and about the breakdown, etc. And it obviously means that hopefully I'll bring more people into the game as well and watch it. One, uh, one little negative off of the back of that positive is what the hell took him out of that coaching setup? Like, he's clearly, as you just said, has got a, a breadth of knowledge and a ground level access to what's currently going on. Yeah. And an understanding, like he's obviously had to retire earlier than he would like to have done because his body is just broken. I mean, I totally get the reasons for doing so, but he clearly still has so much to offer beyond bringing the game, beyond telling muppets like me what why they done what they've done on the pitch. Like, don't get me wrong, you're you're right. He's fantastic, and he's done. Uh, he, he's clearly done his media training, knows how to carry himself, knows how to explain things properly without coming across as condescending, which is a really hard line to line to, um, to walk. But I'm just sitting there every time I listen to him talk and thinking, it's crap enough that we can't slap you on the pitch. There's extra crap that we thought we were going to have him imparting his knowledge and, and pushing that onto the next generation yeah. until it requires and worked out there. And I don't know what, like, we don't know what's going on in the background there. We don't know whether it was uh, a clash of personalities. I know some people believe that he's a very sort of um, sort of displayed personality, like he's a very sort of um, this is the Sam Warburton you see, not who the Sam Warburton is. I don't, I don't know whether I necessarily buy into that or not, but it might be the case. And if that's the case, then you might have like a personality clash behind the scenes. I don't know, but for me, it's one of those things where you've got such a resource in front of you um, that is still aware of how the game is played um, to the point where he was only playing it himself a few years ago. Things haven't moved on that much. He's still in great shape and still knows how the game works, you'd find a way to make that resource work for you, surely. Yeah. I viewed a few things. I don't know what's true. I'm not gonna not gonna come and speculate on you. Um depending on what WhatsApp group you're in, I'm sure it's completely different. I happen to be in about five different rugby WhatsApp groups and I I've heard three different stories. Obviously if you go down the official line of he wanted to be with his family, this gotta be the most difficult time to balance up being yeah. a family man and, and a young family, let's be fair and doing his job there when you've got bubbles and you you can't leave camp like even when you're playing if you've got that home game you know players are leaving camp in between they're going home to see their families for a couple of days or even just for a night then coming back in and so if you've got a young family and you're in a bubble and you can't go anywhere 
to see them. You, you've got very little contact with them. That's got to be hard. So if he's stepping on that official line, if that is true, then, you know, all due respect to him. And obviously he's got a lot of other things on as well. So if you've got a business that you're trying to run where he's set up this fitness thing, and, yeah. you know, you, you can't do that from being a bubble. You can't you can't do your, your punditry from being a bubble. So I think if everything's a bit up in the air and he doesn't really know which way his, his life is going at the moment other than he wants to be with his family. But it is a big loss to Wales. You know, you, you've lost someone who clearly loves the game you can see by the way he talks about it someone who understands the game and excellent about it. someone who's actually pretty good at explaining to other people which is where lots of great players i think fall down is because things come so naturally to them they can't tell you how to do it mm. and we see it so often where great players don't make great coaches because they just expect you to have the same ability as them whereas it's clear that he doesn't you know suffer from that but wales has lost his our game because i love listening to him and at the time when Good pundits are hard to come by. About a good pundit on Northern Hemisphere rugby is as hard to come by as a good referee in Pro 14. So, <laughs> um, and then the last international game of the weekend, obviously, was was um, Scotland France. Um, probably, probably the better game of the four, but still not a great game. I, like it was, there was parts of the French game that I'm not going to use the line because I know he wants to take a pound off me, but. You don't, you don't know what was going to happen, I suppose. But um, um, that's scary. But obviously, that is right. <laughs> obviously, Dupont was was like the, the thing that summed it up for me more than anything was Dupont getting to the point where he boots the ball down the touchline, he goes out on the fall, but he still wins the penalty because he's got clattered after after the ball's gone. And you think if even people like that are doing, if he's doing stuff like that and still winning penalties, um, it's just. And obviously, then we'll get on to the debate in a minute about. Jadabe taking the points um, with his drop goal, um, but yeah, I thought it was it was an average game, but the best of the four. It was the best game, me, but I struggled to watch. I think I've got I, I've never suffered with rugby watcher fatigue, for for want of a better phrase. But I think by the time, like I watched every minute of that game, and I said to you earlier. I can't remember a lot of what happened. Yeah. I think I just what I, I saw it, like my eyes were on the telly, but I don't think it's, it was single. Like I think I did the point where I was like, like I, I, this doesn't feel right. This isn't, and they, they'd be more. I think oh, shit, what have I shut up. What if I missed you? But, uh, but I, I struggled through the game. It's a new, and you know, generally I've got you know I love watching Scotland play, regardless of what happens. There's always been a. I've always had a bit of a love for Scotland that I can't really explain. But so I'd always love watching a Scotland game, and then I don't know. It, 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 it's it, this it, this this COVID Cup downfall that like it, it's like going through COVID itself. Like I've hit the point where it's just like oh, every every day's a struggle at the minute until we can guess who this. Like every game's a struggle at the minute until something changes. What's your thoughts on it, Phil? I see where both of you are coming from. I, I still actually really enjoyed it because the game was like, it was always in touch and distance for the for both teams. And coming at it from, like, I love France. I love everything they do that's batshit. I was crying out to have um, Carbonell on at some point. Just give me Carbonell, that's all I wanted. But it never happened, unfortunately. Um, but I genuinely think, I, I get what you're saying about it being a bit of like an absent game. It was sort of like it just didn't really happen in front of you. But I also thought that it was really positive for both teams, as in 
we're moving away from that France cliche now where we know what we're going to get from them. Yes, it doesn't always fire in all cylinders, but I think this plays into what um, what happened at the end of the Six Nations where they they had the opportunity to go full France and start flinging mad shit and try and take the title from England, and they didn't. And I think that's a really important distinction with where this France team is going in the next, well, building up to the next World Cup, basically, because they've obviously been handed down the gauntlet of you've got your home World Cup, you better go and win it. Like, you better go and win it because it's on your doorstep. You're not going to get yeah. a better chance to have a full run at setting up for this cycle and winning the, winning the, the, um, the tournament. And I think that's what I've taken away from France's performances all the way through to the Six Nations at the start of the year and these last few games and then the games in this in the COVID Cup, as you called it. Um, like, they, they're not capitulating like they used to. Like, Scotland, again, this, this sort of place, they sort of, my, my opinions on both teams sort of play off each other in the fact that France didn't start flinging around and go mad and they still saw the game out and Scotland kept them in touch in a time when years gone by, Scotland would have gone off the boil. Mm. And like, like you say, I, I agree with you that the game wasn't an all-time classic and one for the ages and it was hard to follow at points. Uh, I think I remember one point I was I was making lunch at the time that I was that the game was on and I looked over and they'd scored a try and I hadn't even realised um, or a try before I hadn't realised. I was like, oh shit, right, Scotland's going to go five. Never mind. Okay, so to that to that extent, like, yeah, I, I do take your point, but I think there's some real positives that can be drawn from both sides there. And I think, I mean, like Scotland, I was really impressed by them. I mean, obviously, that going out kick on the full is a bit of a brain fart, which <laughs> probably a uh, um, one for one for the the later segments of this of this podcast. Just um, <laughs> do a hog's kick out on the full, um, but I thought like. Given, given how France had played going into that game, you'd have forgiven Scotland for coming in a bit nervy and going a bit wayward with it and maybe capitulating a bit. And they really didn't. They really held their own. Um, and I think that's a testament to both France and to Scotland. So while the game itself wasn't a classic, I thought both teams, like, both teams, I think, could take something away from that. And they're both moving in really positive directions. It kind of had that air of inevitable air of inevitability that Scotland weren't going to do it to me and I think that's kind of where I switched off and maybe I shouldn't have, that's on me that's not on the game but that's what I mean about it's not so much the game it's this whole tournament at the moment that I'm struggling to really switch on for I had a conversation with somebody last week who said I didn't even know it was happening like a rugby fire, I didn't know this <laughs> I didn't even know this tournament was happening because like, and I think a lot of people are switching off from news at the minute as well because you know it's not the happiest place to be no. But I agree as well, like, Hogg, we, we talk about what a quality player he is, and he is, and he, he's so talented, but he's had a bit of a stinker for Scotland of, of late. Like he's, he's not done many great things, and then you look at, I mean, he dropped the ball in the Six Nations over the line, and he's dropped the ball, like, on Sunday. It's this big mistakes that keep costing. And he is a quality player, he is a brilliant player, and he is an exciting player, but, yeah, he's having a, a bit of a time of it at the minute. Is, sorry, does the angle captaincy? Is that... Is that it, or do you reckon not? I don't like a full-back as a captain. I don't think back three players are captains myself. I, that, that, I, I'll bang my forward box again. With some of our mates. Mm. Yeah. But I'm not, I, I'm not I, saying, I, saying I agree with it either way, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I I remember seeing... Um, well, I mean, let's like, take another example. I don't think Sexton has a temperament for being a captain, certainly not now no. anywhere. Yeah, and I think he obviously expresses it outwardly, whereas I think Hogg... 
there's just something there's, there's just something about it that I don't if he's got other big characters on the pitch I think he handles it better I think if he's got Finn Russell on the pitch with him and it's like that he's got that that, that magnetic personality and everyone's focused on him and the crazy things that he can do sometimes um i think that takes it off of him when he's when he's the x factor as well as the captain i think that's when it falls apart for me uh, yeah. he doesn't seem yeah. to to handle it particularly well um and that's what i think we saw manifest in the drop over the line in the six nations and the and the kick on out on the full um uh, um last weekend yeah, I agree. It's difficult to be that X-Factor player and expect to be do something, conjure something out of nothing, while also be the one that's got to be sensible and mm. stick to your game plan. And so maybe it'll work a little bit better when you've got someone like Finn Russell to carry the can for you as well and, and help you sort of create those moments where it's not as reliant on you. But I don't like full-backs as captains. I don't particularly like backs as captains. I, I, I think... You like you. I, I mean, I don't mind backs. I, I, it could just be eight if it could be your, your choice, wouldn't it? <laughs> we, could have, we could have a game without backs. You couldn't have a game without forwards, you know what I mean? What were they doing a line-out? What were they doing a scrum? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then to touch on your other point, one of the, the sad pieces of news we had, uh, Ray Prosser, uh, just after we, we recorded last week, and then uh, obviously the, the really devastating one this week because of being so young as well of... Christoph Dominici, someone who's who spoke out quite a lot about sort of mental health issues, which I know I'll, I'll bang on about all the time, but you know, mental health issues and a really rough childhood that he had and uh, issues that he'd gone through, really serious things that he talked quite openly about. So it's a, a really sad loss, not just to rugby, but to um, to everyone, really. It's, it's, um, I can't remember who came out yesterday and said he was the first one into the changing room. I was about the, uh, to say it, Tim Horan. Tim, Tim Horan. Tim, Tim Horan in the '99 World Cup. He said we've ju- we've just beaten France. They get we've just come back into the changing rooms after about ten minutes of parading the cap on the pitch, and he's already sitting there with a the beer to come and congratulate us. He said it just shows the measure of the man. Yeah, and I say so I think that speaks volumes as well for how he was thought of in the game and for the work he's done outside there as well. So it's a it's a terrible loss. Agreed. Um, so we've, we've got a new feature that we're going to start. Yeah, so um, I've decided to go with the most tenuously named feature to show on in a rugby reference on a weekly podcast. So it's uh, Greg Laidlow and Order. Yeah. So each week we'll, we'll pick a subject, defence and prosecution, and then we'll uh, look to our guest and our Twitter vote for being judge and jury. So... First up on laid law and order. That's going nowhere, by the way. That's staying. That's staying forever. Like that. Uh, I didn't even know it myself until you just said it. That's, I like that. Yeah. Um, the first thing. So I will concede. I'm already one 0 down because we're going to keep a running track of these over the season. I'm not going to win this one. Correct. I've already. I've already proven that on Twitter this week. Yeah. Drop goals are not exciting. That's uh, that's my statement. Apparently, I'm going first. So I'll delve straight in. Drop goals are not exciting. I put it out to the Twitter vote this week and it came back. 75% of people do think they are exciting. And as I've said before, people listen to Coldplay and vote on the best band in the world. You can't trust people. We voted a Tory government because you can't trust people. You can't trust votes. We're out of the EU because you can't trust people and you can't trust votes. 
they will weigh the score. And this is how much you can't trust people. Having put specifically on there that drop goals are not exciting, people replied saying they are because they're a weight to score. Because a weight to score doesn't make them exciting, it just makes them a weight to score. What's exciting is creating tries, creating breaks, going on runs. I asked you this week for your most exciting players of all time. You came back with Shane Williams, Dan Carter, Jonah Lomu, Christian Cullen, and uh, Martin Williams. So between them, that's nine drop goals in their career, one of which is an exception, which I'll come to later on. Dan Carter's only kicked eight drop goals, and I wouldn't even consider Dan Carter one of the most exciting players in the game. The reason the other people are exciting is because they created opportunities and they scored tries, because that's what rugby's about. Drop goals are a tag on, they're an added on. They're a, when you can't be bothered, you don't think you can create, you don't think you can score, you take the three points. <clears throat> it's like going on tipping point and not going for the star at the end. It's a once go for it. It's like going on the chase and taking the hundred pounds you get to be back at the end. It's not what it's about. Drop goals are the antithesis of exciting. They're what happens when you stop trying to be exciting and just take the points because it's easier. And the only two exceptions are a drop goal in the last five to ten minutes to win a game. I will give you were exciting. And when it's a forward, because forwards doing drop goals are exciting. Because Nugget doing a drop goal was exciting. Because Bomb doing a drop goal was exciting. Zinzan, Dale Garner for Germany, and Matt Denny when he decided to go for a drop goal, even though it cost uh, the Brumbies a place in the Super Rugby playoffs. That was exciting as well. Otherwise, drop goals are not exciting. That's why there's no DVD. There's no hundred greatest drop goals DVD because they're not exciting. Prove me wrong. Okay, so I see that you use one little stat. Um, the the stat that you used was about seventy five percent winning the vote. Yeah. So let's go a bit further. So twenty two percent of the rock and roll followers on Twitter actually took part in the vote. Yeah. Of that twenty two percent, seventy five percent of them said that they were, and I quote, exciting and unexpected. That's a huge 1,193 people that said they were exciting and unexpected. Um, the drop goal by Jalabé on Sunday was the second this year, and that's nowhere near enough. I understand that you're going to say things like they're boring, they're meaningless. However, they don't mean it's, a way of, it's a way of scoring points. When points get scored, this a positive. Um, ask, ask Yanni De Beer whether he thinks they're a negative. Ask Yanni De Beer if he thinks that uh, drop goals shouldn't exist. Um, they have a place in the game that should stay and in fact should be used more I just don't mean match winning but it keeps the, the score moving keeps the scoreboard ticking over and they should stay So I'm not saying we get rid of drop calls and I'm not saying they're negative what I said was they're not exciting that's all the argument is drop goals are not exciting they win games sometimes Yari Tabia is not exciting they just, they are, they exist they win games, they're not exciting they're just not. Rolling malls win games. They're not exciting. Chalk tackles win games. They're a dirge on the game. They're not exciting. How do you really feel, sir? Come on, Phil. What's, what's your views on drop calls? Okay, so um, cast your mind back to Wales, Australia in the groups of 2019 World Cup. You're watching that game, yes, Steph? Yep. The opening exchanges. Wales work their way down to the 22, or just outside the 22. Not, not, not long on the clock. Back into pocket, bigger slots drop goal, 3 0 to Wales within the first five, 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 ten minutes of the game, I think it is. Yeah. I think it's tell less me, than that. Tell me that didn't get your heart pumping. 
But if we had scored a try within the first five minutes of the game, would that have been more exciting? I'm not saying, I'm, okay, I want to throw your own point back at you. I'm not saying that it's whether drop goals are more exciting than tries or not. You're asking the question, are drop goals exciting? Your position is no. I'm saying in that scenario, you would have found that exciting and they are exciting outside of the 10 minute window of end of the game. Because <laughs> when you take a situation where the game is, there's so much poised on it and they don't happen as frequently as tries or penalties, it sets out a message of intent it gets the blood up on both the defence and the attacking side. And it's it's what, it's what makes rugby great in the fact that you can attack your opposition from any number of places and score points. I saw maybe one of your conversations you had with somebody that was possibly um, you, a discussion about maybe, maybe bringing the points down from the value of them down, possibly. instead. Yeah. I'm not necessarily massively against that, because then what we still have is a situation where you might have a team that are prolific in, in attack um, that can score two or three tries, but then you have a team that can muscle the way up to the 22 and start drop goals that can still win the game without being able to cross the whitewash. That's what, for me, makes it a little exciting, is that you can actually... It doesn't necessarily have to be the only last resort. It can yeah. be a way to completely put your, op your opposition on the back foot. Australia weren't expecting that. I'm not saying that if we didn't... Um, I'm taking this. Um, I'm taking this example right into detail here, but I'm not saying that Australia would have come back and beat us in that game if we hadn't started that drop goal. If we had tried to push for a try and failed, or push for a line out and failed, or whatever, um, or won a penalty and missed it from the spot because of nerves or whatever, I don't know. It's difficult to say. But Australia come out of the blocks. We come out of the blocks. Bang straight away, you're three points down. You're already chasing the game within minutes. And they haven't necessarily infringed anywhere. They haven't done anything wrong. We haven't forced them to do anything wrong. They literally have done nothing wrong. Psychologically, that's hard to take for a team to say, right, shit, we've done nothing wrong here in the opening five minutes. We haven't even let them score a try, but we're losing. We are losing the game now. If the, if the game blows up, and that's for me is what makes them exciting, is the fact that it's a real sort of like, holy shit, game on. I love that this is going to run as well. And I've already accepted that I've lost. I, I, I know I wasn't going to win you over and I'd already lost a Twitter vote, so I knew I was one of them back this. I do take your point, and that's what I said about maybe maybe dropping the, the value of them, because I think equating them with the value of a penalty is maybe a little bit too far. To, to, it gives them maybe a little bit too much power. Um, yeah. There's no way you can see England drop, drop gold their way to a World Cup. Effectively. And that's why I was because if, if drop goals exciting England 2003, the most exciting team in the world. Oh, I know, right? And that was boring as hell. And I get that. And it's about the context around it. Um, and what I was saying, like, um, what I was going to pick up on your point about forwards doing it is that it's it's exciting because it's it's novel. It's not exciting in the context of the game because the only time you give a forward a drop goal is when it's their last cap or the game's already done and dusted. Oh, Maybe. it's a, a mad shit moment. <laughs> bomb just going, ah, I'm just going for it. It's great. But yeah, I'll I'll accept that I'm going to concede. I won't accept that the drop goals are exciting, but I'll accept that I've lost this one. So you're okay. basically saying that seventy five percent of your followers are wrong. Yeah. Okay. No, no, actually, no. What I'm uh, that's not what I'm saying because you did the maths here. Seventy five percent. You said yeah, twenty two percent of my followers voted, no. didn't you? Twenty two percent of your twenty two percent of your followers voted. Seventy five percent of those said that they were uh, excited. So what you're seeing is it's a very small minority of the people who follow my account that think the drop goals are exciting. Yeah. 
1193, I think the number was, out of yeah. 5,000 and something. Yeah, the real it's, lesson here, Steph, you need to work on your engagement, clearly. Yeah, well, <laughs> the real lesson is that that's early adopters, which is obviously what we were. You know, we're slowly winning people over, you know, <laughs> even though we're a little bit more introverted. And, and that's just, why we like to watch the extroverts scoring tries. Because I knew I was going to win this, there's one last little question I have in regards to drop goals. It's a bit of a trivia one. So if you count Jalabert as scoring a drop goal on, on Sunday against Scotland at Murrayfield, and you work backwards, and you numbered them all one, two, three, four, four, all the way up to 50, what do you think the 50th drop goal was? You've got far too much time on your hands. No, no, I have a friend who knows <laughs> stats. I'm going to go out on a limb and just say it's the 20, it's the 2003 World Cup winning one. No, it is a World Cup though. Oh, it is a World Cup, okay. It's, it's uh, 95. Nope, it's actually Andre Pollard in 2015. Against Scotland. Why oh, has it been 50 drop goals in that amount of time? 50 drop so, goals in five years. It hurts you, doesn't it, Steph? It hurts you, do you call it? No, it, it takes <laughs> away another argument that they're really in a surprise. There's been 50 of them in five years. It's 10 a year. And that's just uh, at the international level. I would just like to thank our friend Sam for that stat. Uh, anyway, as I say, I, I accept defeat, so we'll, we'll move on. What are we moving on to, Steph? Do you want to do next week or do you want to do your uh, yeah, we'll, you've we'll, prepared? We'll do, a quick, uh, we'll do a quick look at next week. So... Um, I made a point earlier that I I don't know how much of it is in Pivac's interest. I it's obviously it's not in his interest, so he went about 80 points in this, but I don't know how much is in his interest to have a really good performance or even a win. Because he's gonna have to go out there, he's gonna have to pick some of the old guard, he's gonna have to I think a bad performance against England gives him a chance to rip up the team sheet and say this is my team and put a stamp on it. And they were players that looked a bit more like a Pivac player. So you look at the likes of Callum Sheedy coming in and looks a bit more of a Pivac player. I think he's still got that issue I talked about last week of five, um, where Alan Wynn is obviously going to be there for now. I, I think Alan Wynn, we're, we're into his last season. I can't see it going on beyond that. And Pivac does love that, that, that essentially another flank, another blind side playing at five. I think I said that on your last week when uh, someone asked a question about... Um, who should play there, whether we're looking at, at Beard, whether we're looking at Seb Davis. I think the only reason he went for Seb Davis is because he sees him as a six. Mm. And so by seeing him as a six, he picks him at five. Because that's exactly the same as he did with Ty Byrne. That's exactly the same as he did with Blade Thompson. I know I'm going back over the things I said last week. But like to me, that that's the reason that Seb Davis is in there. Now, it's whether this is the test of whether he is a good coach, because we've viewed from coming out the cap for so long that Seb Davis is the next big thing. He's going to be this big thing. And I've not seen any of that from him. And I keep saying I'm missing these games where he's really Superman because I've not seen any of them. And I guess, you know, I spend a lot of time watching tedious games on a Pro 14 sometimes. And I think it's the test of Pivak is whether he can make him that player he wants him to be, whether he can convert him from being an average regional player into a quality international player. And it's been done. I, like, sorry? So I don't think he's going to need to because I don't think he's going to pick him. I think having the lack of having Shane Lewis, he was coming in and playing so well in the games that he did play in, I have a feeling that he'll pick him at six and then he'll go with the likes of Jake Ball and Corey Hill and Seb doesn't get looking. But I see he's always picked an out and out six anyway. Like, it, and Shingler did the sort of five-six role as well, and he's always picked 
a blind side, which is the most underrated position in rugby, he's always picked a six, but he's always picked a six at five or a five and a half. Mm. It's who that's going to be. If he can turn Seb into that player, it's going to make a big difference. And I see Luke Charteris, who remember when Charteris first came on the team, quite, people questioned whether he was ever going to be good enough. People said, like, oh, well, Charteris is there, he's only there because he's big, we can chuck him up on a line out and say, and by the time Charteris retired, I think we were at the point where we were like, you know, this is, we're losing a massive player here. His work rate was incredible. Mm. His work around the pitch, he's actually had good hands, he was carrying again. Like, we lost a quality player by the time Charteris had gone. And yep. I'd, Seb Davis is still, was he 24? Is he? Yeah. No, yeah. I think so. so I know that, like, for forwards, there may be, like, you, you don't, age as quickly as, as other people like you experience tends to work well I remember Alan Wynn had to break into that Wales team he had to had to move and came in at four before he worked his way up to five so it's not a case of like Itoji is a freak Itoji is in there at his age and looking absolutely world class he's an absolute freak no no second row should be doing it that young not being that good mm. so I think we give him time we wait and see because I think if Pivak's there long term we could see Seb Davis long term. I think we'll see Alan Wynn back in. Hopefully, Jake Ball will get his chance. Navidi's back in training. That can make a big difference if he's fully fit because our seven is still a little bit up in the air. I'm not one of these people who's going to jump on Cubby. I, I, Cubby seems to take a lot of flack. Like he took a lot of flack when he played. He didn't play. We looked no better at seven. People are still having to go at Cubby. Like yeah. I done. Like it seems bizarre to me that we. Whether it's a thing because he's he is you know Pivac's blue eyed boy, but he is for a reason as well. Like he's there as a personality, but he's there because he's a good player. And I would I know it was a not a full strength South Africa, but when we went out and we played South Africa, we played Argentina. He's man of the match one game. Ellis Jenkins is man of the match next game. Essentially, we've lost two quality players here. He, he is of the ability to play international level. Do you think that's a little bit of? A hangover because obviously there's a big um a big movement in the Welsh public for the Welsh rugby community to to effectively shit on Pivak and this and his his yeah. new reign. Do we think that's a little bit down to the fact that Gatlin was so reluctant to pick him and in his reluctance to pick him, when he was probably in, in arguably better form, it was conversations about his personality didn't gel with Gatland or he wasn't the type of um like you say personality that he wanted in the camp. Do we think that maybe feeds into a little bit of where there's that disdain around him? Is that they don't, they're harking back to the they want they want that success back um, so badly that they're willing to throw anybody under the bus who wouldn't have fitted in under Gatland? I also think yeah. I agree with that. I also think subconsciously a lot of people compare him, compare him to his brother because they want him to be as good as a seven as Foxy is as a thirteen. That's not going to be because they're different players. They're not going to be that. That's never going to happen. But I think subconsciously, some people do that. I think as well, though, that the seven shirt has become the new ten yeah. shirt. Yeah. Mm. Like we always talked about the outside R factory and like right through. And then in the nineties when we struggled, it was always Arwell Thomas's fault. It was Neil Jenkins didn't have a good game. Yes, there are is in the ten. Like we went through the phase of blaming ten. Then as it turned out, what we needed was a good seven because Martin Williams stepped in there and took it up another level, took it up another notch from where we were. Then Sam Warburton came in, took it up another level. Again, we're talking about Tip Rick being one of the best sevens in the world. And we're going on, oh, look at the depth we've got. 
And then as soon as we can't compete in that back row, which is a lot of it is down to the way the game's changed a little bit, like Ireland are coming out and they've steamrolled us up front, England have steamrolled us up front. And it's not just this year, like that's happened for a number of years. We've been to Dublin and couldn't compete with Ireland mm-hmm. and the Gatland a few times. But I think it then comes down to, well, why can't we compete up front? It's obviously because we know when internal was, and that should be the open side's job. And I think that's where it falls down on. And so it's easy to then go, well, look at all these players we had. And now we're on Cubby, especially now he's come out. You know, we got this little fat kid at seven. And that's not the case. He's a, he's a quality athlete, I think, personally. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, it's seen a bit bizarre. But Navidi coming back in would be something. It does give us that a little bit more ball carrying ability as well. He's a big guy. He's good at seven. He can play all across that back row. So he's got that little bit of, of versatility. So if Tipperick is out, which. If I'm honest, even if Tipperick's not out, I don't want to see Tipperick playing. No, like we know what he can do. We're not playing for anything. And after taking a bump like that and going to HIA, let's just give him the time there that is, we've there seen. Is, with Sorry, there is talk of him being fit for it though, isn't there? I've seen yeah, today, which is yeah, really they, worrying. I really hope that they don't do it. I really hope that they just take the sensible option and just leave him out. I just don't see the point in taking the risk. Yeah, I just... Yeah, I agree. Especially, especially having seen sort of George North still struggling at times right up until sort of the start of this season yeah. let's just let players rest let's... well we, we touched uh, on it before we started I know you've got a, a 15 written down I haven't but I'm going to try and do this off my off my head um, and see if we're anywhere close so I'm going to go front row the started weekend so Wynn Jones Elliot D Samson Lee Jake Ball and Alan Wynn I think they'll go Shane Lewis Hughes, if he's fit, Navidi, and then Toby. I think he'll stick with Wayne Wright at eight. Again, Falatau, if, we, if we've got any question over his fitness, let's yeah, leave same. him rest. Whether they will or not, I don't know. But as I told about that Wayne Wright, uh, Pivax had the conversation about the Dragons picking him at eight. So let, let's give the regular, like Dean Ryan sort of, Reluctant apparently Moriarty's been sent back to the Dragons because he he's done for this. But so let's put Wayne right in there. It's mm. going to be difficult, but if all we're looking to do is move the ball and be dynamic and play on the front, play fast rugby and not look to think. And it could work out well for us. We've got to make our ball stick. But if we go, we're gonna try and match England physically, we can't. We physically can't. We can't do it. So yeah. let's put Wayne right in for me. I don't know. You pick at nine. I, I, I think Webb. The, the name, the names that I'm rattling off are the names I think they'll pick. So I think they'll pick Webb. I wouldn't, but I think they'll pick bigger. Um, because yeah, I think and... I think they look at it and go, "It's England. We'll play bigger." And then Sheedy can play next week against Italy. I think that's what they're going to do. Um, you think we'll then... probably start with bigger and Sheedy on a bench? Yeah. I personally. I'd go the other way around. I'd put yeah. Sheedy in a ten and leave bigger come off and, and wrap it up. I agree, but I think I think they'll they have Sheedy on the bench. Um, I, think I think Johnny Williams is looking nailed on for twelve now. I can't see any way that that's going to change. No, he had I a good game. I say I know it was a, a poor job, but more than anything, he adapted to that system. Yeah, he looked like it's mad because he's a scarlet player, but he's obviously he's one that never played under Pivac. But he looks like he understands Pivac system already, despite. So I, I think Johnny Williams starts at twelve. Foxy's nailed on if he's fit. If he's not fit, do, do, we, do we go Watkins? Do we go Tompkins? It'll be Tompkins, I think. Because I, I think even if Foxy's fit, I don't think he'll play. Because I, 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 th- I think the back line will be Webb, Bigger, Josh Adams, Johnny Williams, Tompkins. I think Rhys will play. And I think Williams will be fullback. I think that's the back line he'll pick. 
and then the bench will be covered by Sheedy, uh, Halfpenny, and uh, probably Lloyd Williams. I think if Halfpenny is fit, Halfpenny plays. So I think because you always need the points, you can't afford to leave points out there. So I think Halfpenny will play, Sancho will play on one wing, Adams will play on the other. I'd like to see Louis Rees-Samit. He doesn't look, again, it's the carry syndrome. Like, he's going to be a quality player. He's going to be a brilliant player, but I don't think he's quite there yet. Like positionally, like he's strong enough. He's fast enough. He's looked out the position a couple of times already in the couple of starts that he's had, or a couple of games that he's had. No start, sorry. He's been caught. Again, I don't know how much of that is because we're still using this really narrow defence, which obviously is something that he won't have played before. But I don't think he's quite there yet. But the good thing with it, like you've got time. Take your time with him. Like I, I don't see why we're rushing. I know that uh, Welsh rugby Facebook will be <laughs> spitting on the floor of me saying it, but let's just give him time. Let's this week and see. Bring him in at ten. <laughs> Bring him in at ten. <laughs> Everyone else has played there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Get him at ten. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Any toast, that's not a prerequisite for being a knocker uh, in uh, COVID times. Apparently, you don't have to throw straight anymore. You just won't be able to throw anyway. <laughs> Should we dive straight into uh, our as yet unnamed quiz of the week? Yeah, go ahead. Basically, what I did this week, I did a little bit of research, which is a shock. I did a little bit of research and I went on Cameo, not like Ooh. Word Up, Ow, yeah. like the website. So anyone who doesn't know Cameo, Cameo is there. You pay money, they do a video. And I thought we'd have a little game of just higher or lower. So I'm going to give you a player yes. and a price. You tell me if the next player I give you is higher or lower than the player starting off. Okay. So, our first starting player is a test lion at the tender age of 96, I think he was. I, I didn't do all the research. I didn't do all So, it was something like that. But Simon Shaw. <laughs> Simon Shaw is £33.20. So, and I, I tried to do a little bit of background and I really couldn't even be bothered. Nick Easter was my next one. And I just, uh, Nick Easter always come across as like the most mediocre person to me. But he's got loads. He's played in the World Cup final. He's the most cap queen and everything. But yeah, Nick Easter. So is Nick Easter higher or lower than Simon Shaw's 33 on 20? Doesn't take too long. We've, we've been over an hour already. Oddly specific amount of money as well, isn't it? 33 on 20. I, I don't know if it's a conversion rate thing. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I thought that I was like £33.20. But yeah, he's £33.20. I'll give you £33 exactly, love. Can I, I haven't got 20 pence. Purely because Simon Shaw is a test lion, Nick Easter is going to be less. Bill? I'm going to go less as well, yeah. Yeah, point each. He is lower. He's £20.75. That's, oh. uh, well... <laughs> Get, get used to the, the weird prices. They don't go away. So up next, World Cup winner, a man who pissed off an old nation with a single dance to Hawk Giacomo clothing. Um, and he's been pissing off other nations for years. Um, the Hack Arena dancer himself, Matt Dawson. So is Matt Dawson more or less than £20.75? I think he's got to be more, hasn't he? Because he's a, Matt, Matt Dawson's no longer a former rugby player. He's a celebrity, isn't he? Because he's been on, like, Strictly. He's done Question of Sport. I reckon he's he's in the region of about, about 70 quid, so I reckon he's going to be more. Yeah, I oh. reckon the same. I reckon he's a lot more. 
Right, we've we've done out. That was our nice little warm up. They were all easing in, right? Yeah. Okay. Was, How much was he next, an, Another World Cup winner. How much was he? Can you tell us? Oh yeah, sorry. He was <laughs> 60, 62 pounds and twenty five pence. Oh. Up next, another World Cup winner, a try scoring beast, and a man who straddled more nations than Matt Dawson ever did. So was Saki Naholo. <laughs> Are we going higher or lower than your sixty two pound twenty five? I let you go first, Phil. I'm gonna go lower on that one. I think I think he's one of those one of those um he's he's obviously really well known in the rugby community, but Dawson is known beyond that as well. So I think he would draw more of a price than that. So I think I'm gonna go lower. Um I think go on, higher. go on. Higher. Yes, that's what we wanted. We wanted it, we wanted you to not go the same every time. <laughs> Uh, Phil's got the point though, unfortunately. It was, uh, <laughs> I was lower, he was lower. <laughs> uh, 58 pounds and 10 pence. Oh, not very much. So, a non World Cup winner, but Wales' all time top try scorer, oil flogger, uh, and a man that clueless Welsh rugby fans have been wanting to give it to since 2000. Shane Williams. Is little Shane higher or lower? The most hacking a hole is 58 pounds and 10 pence. Hopefully, the message is more exciting than his commentary. But that's what I'm thinking. Like, what are you yeah. for there? Quite a walk because you made him go first last time. I think he's going to be higher than Dawson, so I'm going to go higher. Right, I'm going to go lower then. I reckon he's lower again. I reckon he's got other other business ventures that are keeping him afloat. He doesn't. He's not relying on on cameo. I reckon he's lower than 50, 58, whatever it was. I think his only other business ventures are filling up oils across West Wales farmers. Yeah. So uh, it's lower. It's uh, yes. uh, it's high. It's not. Sorry, oh, it's higher it. than the holo. It's one hundred twenty-four pounds and fifty pence. One hundred twenty-four pounds. He's actually he's actually double Matt Dawson. Sixty-two quid. He's double Matt Dawson. Yes, you can tell you work in a bank. Yeah. Oh my god. So we're ready for the next one. Like him or loathe him. A man who will go down in rugby history for that clip of him running head first into the post against Wales. Richard and Judy's favourite son-in-law is James Askell. Ooh. Is James Askell more or less than £124.50? I'm going to out myself here, but as someone who, when it was known as House of Rugby, used to listen to it every week, and who for the first four or five weeks listened to the good, bad and rugby, um, I think he's spoken about this a lot. Well, we leave Phil go first then. If you're going to cheat, I'm not going to cheat. But Otherwise, I, you're going to guide him with his answer. I've forgotten what the an- what, what it was. <laughs> All the videos are filmed from uh, Paul Doran Jones's cupboard. <laughs> that's, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> that's a dangerous joke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right, God, in Phil, where are we going? Are you lower than 124.50? Uh, I'm so conflicted between the people that would pay that for him and his <laughs> ego. Because I feel like his ego would ask for so much more if he could get away with it. I'm gonna go higher. I reckon he I reckon he asks for more than that because he's got like he's probably got some like stupid deal where you can do like a fitness video with him and his missus or something awful like that. I think he's higher. I I think he's higher and I think it's about 180 quid. Because I think the 80 rings a bell, so I might have got it wrong. It might be 80 quid or 180, but I think it's 180 quid. The 80 does ring a bell. It's 80 pence. 
No. And 132 oh, pounds. <laughs> so it was I for both of you. <laughs> Point each. So we're back on World Cup winners. So next is a man who, and then I'm going to redact that joke for legal reasons if a fear he might hunt me down and kill me because I know he definitely owns a gun now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Eben Estebeth. <laughs> is Eben Estebeth higher or lower than James Askell? Oh. Are we talking about, is he doing Borat impersonations as part of this as well? Or is it just... For an extra £50, he'll come around and pistol whip you. Allegedly. Allegedly. Oh. <laughs> Allegedly. Never proven. Um, go on, Ryan, you have this one, because I have the last one. Um, because they've just won the World Cup, I think he's higher than Haskell. I'm going to go lower. Just to, I think Because I think we're still even at this point, aren't we? I think you're winning. Yeah, yeah you, were, you were at 4 all. Yeah. Until that one, Phil's five four up. Yeah, he oh, was 40, 49 pounds and eighty pence. Exactly oh. the same as Jesse Creel. Oh. Exactly the same as Jesse Creel. They've definitely got their heads together, haven't they? And thought, what's a good value? Yeah. Yeah. Why did you mention that name? Great story come out about him this week. Did you see the, well, the news? We'll do that later. The mid quiz, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get this on pointless. <laughs> uh, you get prizes on pointless as well. A man so committed to regional rugby next, he had a live blood transfusion for the Ospreys. Uh, Bowden Barrett played oh. understudy to him. Gareth Anscombe. Is Anscombe more or less than £49.80? Um, he'll be more than that, surely. Yeah. Are you asking me or telling me? No. I'm saying I don't think I'm so. Saying I'm saying he's going to cost more than £49. I think a cameo thing is... I think he's got bigger things to worry about right now. I feel like this is a thing that they've all latched onto because of COVID. I think he's got bigger things to worry about right now. I'm going to say lower. Higher, it's £66.40. pence. I'm going to give you a two for one on this one. Because there's two, two players, as in not two videos, but two players on the same amount. Okay. So I'll give you an ex-player or a current player. Yeah. So a Welsh rugby legend. Yeah. And one of the worst dancers I've ever seen this week yeah. on Twitter. And the only <laughs> man to ever make a bum bag look cool. So it's Jiffy yeah. and Alex Good. And what was the previous one? It was £66.40. and pence. I was going to say, feel free to play along at home. <laughs> but I think as a given anyway, you know, does anyone just watch Pointless for the, the dialer? Like, if you've got a quiz, you play along, do you? Yeah. Stop, stop guessing the answers. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. If not, we've only got three left. So it was a bit late to tell <laughs> He, I think, I think it's going to be less. No, I think Jiffy is higher. I think it's higher than 60 quid. I thought Jiffy would have been more than Gareth Anscombe. It's £41.50. It. Pence. it all started off so even, Ryan. You're steaming away with it now. He's, he's, he's one up. 6-5. I'm one ahead. When it was 4-4, I thought it was 4-2 to you. So, um, I hope right, I'm, pull, I'm pulling out the big guns again. So the nicest man in world rugby, World Cup winner, rugby World Cup top try scorer, person who's raced against everything that a marketeer could think of that was slightly fast, Brian Abana. Is Brian Abana higher or lower than Jiffy's £41.50? pence? On your show. Oh, man. See, like, the previous Saffirs were, were surprisingly low considering their... Just like Brian Abana back in the early noughties, if this was happening then, 
yeah, he'd be he'd be fetching top dollar. I just don't think, especially with the TV gigs he's got going on now, does he really need this extra income? Is it really that much of a money maker for him? So what was the last amount? Sorry, forty one pound fifty. I'm gonna go lower. Um, so you got lower. <clears throat> so a banner, he's higher, isn't he? You going higher? Yeah. A banner charges what I like to call the nice guy rate, <laughs> as in him, Liam Messon, and the second nicest man in rugby, Lima Sapuanga, all charge £24.90. What? <laughs> yeah. I, I just, Brian, Brian, if you're listening, um, what the fuck's your agent up to me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> can I, can I just say, I, I answered answered heads because I think now that makes it a draw with one, one question left. Is that right? It does. It's all on. It's all on this final question, which works out perfectly because if it wasn't all on this final question, I was going to fix it so that it was anyway. <laughs> Nothing if not honest in my dishonesty. You don't get this on point. You do not get this on point. So finally, the last one. I'm going to, I'm going to switch the, the lights to red. Yeah. I know no one can see this, but this has added attention for me. Like no one else is in the room with me because you do it somewhere else, so it's had no effect on you. And no one listening <laughs> no, to this can see attention. it. But the lights are red. My heart is pounding. This is good. So finally, the like big one. It's exciting like a drop goal. This is the big one. Stop recording. I mean phone. that. In, I mean that. It's the binger of bongs. It's oh. the eater of strawberries and. <laughs> It's the eater of strawberries and avocados during breakfast blowjobs. It's the reason that I'll never look at the dog filter on Snapchat in the same way ever again. It's Mr. Maxwell Brian Evans. And I'd like to say it's not for those videos. You're not paying for those videos. That's a shame because I would pay for those videos. But I can do you a deal after. <laughs> so the question, and I can't believe I've got to ask this, is Max Evans' video with more than Brian Abana's? It's gone quiet. Mm. <clears throat> he loves boobs, but do you love his prices more? That's like a really bad, like Max, Max, Max Evans. Yes. Okay, so I'll go first. And because it because to add tension, so we get a winner, shall we make a, a closest two as well in case we both go the same way? That, yeah, oh, if you go the same way, I am going to the closest <clears throat> to a bunch. So Max Evans, he's been on... Um, get, I think the skating show. This isn't this isn't Wikipedia. I just need higher or lower. So Max yes. Evans is going to be higher because there'll be a whole different market of people that want to buy his videos. I think, and he's going to be forty-three pound. Phil, I think he's also going to be higher, but not because he appeals to a different market. Because he needs to he needs to feed his coke habit. Um, <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> um, could have been uh, flour in the video. It could have been. Could have been. It could have been flour. It could have been. I mean, you, there was certainly some baps involved. Um, <laughs> so, um, I'm going to say fifty pounds forty-three. He is. He is amazingly higher than Brian Abana <laughs> at twenty-nine pounds and five oh, pence. Oh, oh. So Wally seals it on the lower amount. I uh, just. And just for a, a moment, if you can just uh, spare a thought for the, the lesser guys of Rugby Cameo. Uh, Tim Visser, Elton Yanchies and Nick Grigg are £16.60. Wow. Uh, DTH Van der Merwe and Hugh Jones are £12.45. 
And if you've got ten pound and want to, and are willing to break a note, <laughs> Montiwani is eight pound thirty. So okay, you can yeah, still get one. Yeah. So I'm genuinely considering getting him, getting one. Just whatever. Just, just tell me whatever. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, fact, really bad. in fact, what we'll do is we'll send him a message asking to create one for the pod, but we'll yeah. we'll round it up to a ten and we'll use it every week. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, just a spear of thought for for poor Monty. Keep 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 on dancing, fella. You're doing fine. Um. So yeah, that's the quiz. I thought it'd be something a little bit different. That's good. Should we uh should we round end off it, with our our winners it. and wankers? Yeah, how we end every week. So winners and wankers. As a guest, Phil, do you want to go first? Let's go with your winners first. Uh, winners, I would say um, Argentina in general for making that a draw. I think, like you say, Steph coming off the back of that um, All Blacks win was always going to be a tough act to follow. I thought they did um, a really good job uh, game aside to actually, you know, win it. Um, uh, the Welsh lads that came into the the Georgia game, um, Shibia, like you say, had a good game. He's a winner for me. Um, Private Scarlets is a winner for me for always throwing up sort of Indian burial ground level of cursed weather. Um, that's always a good mixer for it. Um, yeah, you know, winners. Uh, for my, I, I've picked my, my one outstanding winner for me this week in a week where I felt rather shit about rugby. It was really the wrong time to, to start a rugby podcast. Uh, but <laughs> Sam Orbiter for me, just for opening that door to, to anyone watching the game. People who've got Amazon Prime and, and don't generally watch rugby, we've got to remember that the kids are consuming uh, telly and consuming sport in different ways now as well. And so for some, I imagine like Prime becomes their first point of contact. Like my kids watch more Prime and Netflix and Disney Plus than they would watch the BBC or ATV now. So I think Sam Orbiter for, for being perfect for new watchers and people who are fed up with the game I'm not fed up with the game I say fed up I'm genuinely not and I'll be the first one watching again but yeah this week felt like a bit of a slog so I've got two winners um, my first one is Marrow um, for completely destroying the island lineup. like that island lineup normally is one of the things that gives him a massive platform to build off and he, he just annihilated it by himself whether that was because he just thought I'm just going to get one over on James Ryan I don't know but he was just all over it and then my second one, um, typically because of the week that we've had, because of the discussions we've had, is Janibé for taking the points and sending over the second drop goal of the year. <laughs> Hashtag bring back the drop needs to be trending on Twitter. It's been 50 in five years. I haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> uh, I'll dive in there following on with another wanker. Um <laughs> My, the, the biggest one goes for me this week, and it had a lot of weeks, but rugby conspiracy theories on Twitter and Facebook, like, it, it genuinely does my tits in, that someone thinks that because Guinness sponsors something, the Irish teams are going to have it, or because it's based in Ireland, they, they well, they're somehow prepping refs, to, they, or they're, they're putting Irish referee. it's nonsense, it's rubbish. There is no Pro 14, there is no... Illuminati. I think I've made that one up, but I quite like it. Or maybe someone else made it up, but I've picked it up off him. But like, yeah, that's that's my one for this week. Like, especially, just just fuck off. 
Well, I would have I would have gone Phil. Do you want to go next? But your point has just actually ruined my my two. So my oh, two right. wankers were um the the theory behind the fact that Ireland lost on Saturday because Andy Farrell is Owen Farrell's dad. And yeah, I'm adding the conspiracy theories. Yeah, yeah. He refuses to attack. Um, so his son can work. Um, uh, sorry, his son can win. And then maybe the charity work that his son does is spread into the rest of the family. That's that's what I was thinking. Um, and the other one was gentleman's name I'd never heard of before the weekend and that's Brian McNeese he was the TMO in the Scarlets game who's an Irish TMO who overturned a red card for an Irish player from an Irish team you're going to hear him again uh, yeah <laughs> who happens to be the TMO for this coming Saturday's game between Wales and Ireland with Wales and England which will be fantastic well that's all right because the uh, the Pro 14 have no influence on them so obviously the conspiracy doesn't doesn't work out at international level <laughs> and Phil you're one <laughs> I've already got one wanker, and that's Stuart Hogg. <laughs> I just, not against the guy himself. I'm sorry, I should clarify that. Not against the guy himself, but just um, that that had, that had the feeling of a moment there at the end of that game. And they said it was a bit of a dirge, and I do agree to a certain extent, but there was a chance there where there could have been a bit of an upset on the cards there. They were still turning the screws. They were working, they were playing the right areas, moving the ball, well, had the chance to move the ball downfield and to put it out on the full there. It's just unforgivable. I know he said he's going to forget about it and what all that. He's a professional athlete and they work through it, but just what a wonderful thing to do. I'll check some of these off that. I will add in as well um, inconsistency of refereeing because come on, you're professionals now. Yeah. You're not doing it for beer checks and for after games anymore. Like, So I'll put these out to the Twitter vote and uh, everyone can have a decision and make decide who the actual winner and wanker for this week are. And I'll put a tweet out. Uh, so all that's left is. For me to thank you all. Thanks, Wally, for organising everything. Uh, top man on my technical front. Thanks, Phil, for joining us. Absolutely superb. Cheers. Thanks so much, Benya. Hopefully, we'll get you back on in the future. It's been superb, Avenue. And thanks for everyone for listening and for the nice feedback we had of the one last week. Because I'll be honest, like I said I've put it off for so long, for about five years now. So it was nice to get some feedback for me actually getting off my ass and doing the second one as well. Cheers, all. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys. Thanks You've been listening to Rock and Roll in association with health and adversity. Tackling mental health. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.